Seinfeld, the doorman is over, but we are just getting started here on the Seinfeld post-show recap, a podcast about nothing. And now here are the two guys who are eating all they can of Kasha today. I'm Rob Sestrini. Here's Akiva Whitaker. Akiva, how are you? Uh, I've never tried Kasha. I don't think Kasha was on my cereal rankings, but uh, I also Kasha's like Kleenex, right? That that Kasha is buckwheat, but the the main brand of buckwheat is kasha to the point where everyone calls it kasha. I might be making that up, but I think I'm right. See, I eat kashi. Kashi. Uh, that's his Okay, now cereal. I'm mixing up kashi and kasha completely. So scratch what I said. I'm not sure if, if what I said was accurate. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to talk about The Doorman, a fun episode, a lot of stuff going on here. I have some interesting theories about what really went on. So looking forward to this one, Akiva. How are you doing, Keeve? I'm doing well. Um, I was thinking that what's what's the hottest show on TV other than Seinfeld, of course. Game of Thrones. Yeah. So I was thinking and I saw you post like the Game of Thrones pod- podcast is doing uh, blockbuster numbers. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's one of the top five, uh, I guess, TV and film podcasts right now. Yes. So can we put how can we incorporate Game of Thrones into the Seinfeld podcast to make it more popular? Okay. So you want to incorporate, do like a Game of Thrones themed Seinfeld episode? I see that we could do that. But also my game, I'm like, I like to refer to myself as a Game of Thrones casual. Like I, I'd mess up too much. It would be a disaster. But can we just put Game of Thrones in the title and then would the podcast do better? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of if there's any way that, is there a Seinfeld game? I know they go see the movie like the big game, right? Yeah. Can can we? Well, not no. That's not the movie. That's the uh, that's the Nazis book. Okay. The, yes, that's right. That's right. Checkmate is uh, is one of the movies. Can we? Yeah. Can I? Can can just like the title of this podcast episode on iTunes be called like Seinfeld meets Game of Thrones? Or <laughs> we could even say like we could mention Game. What? How? Do, I don't know how SEO works. Like if we say we don't talk about Game of Thrones in parentheses, like mm-hmm. Seinfeld, you know, one hundred four. They, you know, the doorman in parentheses, like no Game of Thrones talk. Yeah. How, how does that help us? Yeah, I don't think that sort of Trojan horse style of marketing is really effective here in 2016. I think that somebody downloads that. They listen to it. This wasn't Game of Thrones. Give you one star. I think that there is some retribution on the back end. In true Game of Thrones fashion, yeah, there is some retribution and backlash. Well, we didn't lie. We said we don't talk about Game of Thrones on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, people are smart these days, Akiva. People are yeah, too we smart. Can't, uh, really? There's no, like, uh, you can't mess up with the Google searches and stuff, mess around? I don't know. All I right. don't think that the juice would be worth the squeeze there. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Now, maybe you could sort of, like, triangulate some sort of that Seinfeld. It stars uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who is on Sunday nights on HBO, on Veep, which is also the home of Game of Thrones, that popular show that everybody wants content about. Now, we, we talk about how, like, they did the fire episode on you know, must-see TV, and, like, Fred, George Clooney came to Friends and Mad mm-hmm. About You. I think the fire was started by Paul Reiser and Mad About You. And, uh, and then, you know, everyone comes to ER at the end. Do, like, can we, do, is there a chance that HBO does that with, like, Game of Thrones and Veep and Silicon Valley? Because then we could at least say, like, oh, you know, that's our news of the week, talking about Julie Dreyfus as she became queen for a week on Game of Thrones. <laughs> that would be tricky. I think that would be tough to do. That would be an amazing crossover, though. Yeah. 
other than them talking about Game of Thrones, the TV show on Veep or Silicon Valley, I don't know how you would pull that off. There's no there's no room for dragons on Veep. No. Do you watch either of those shows, Veep or Silicon Valley? I know I'm not that- caught up to Veep and I've seen episodes of Silicon Valley. I've seen most of Veep, but I'm not caught up. Yeah. I don't watch either of those shows, but they're shows that are on my bucket list. Next time on my well, you, we have to talk about this for a second. Yeah. Because you say this a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you know what a bucket list is. Okay. Because anytime you want to do something, you just say it's on your bucket list. Yes. <laughs> you must have thousands of things on your bucket list. I need a spreadsheet. Do you have one, a spreadsheet? I have many spreadsheets, but not about like things you have that a I bucket list, but you should make one. Because literally, I've heard you say dozens of times in the last year, this is on my bucket list. And some of them are big. All right. Paging them- Falconer so I can get hold of my bucket list. <laughs> Only on this podcast do I talk about bucket lists? Or on no, on, on every podcast you mention bucket lists. Yeah, boy. <laughs> but I'm such a procrastinator that there's probably a lot of stuff in that bucket. Well, but I, I would say I'm the opposite where I have like smaller dreams. Like I'm not, but you know, I'm not like, uh, I don't have it. I have hardly anything on my bucket list. Mm. My bucket list is like take longer naps. Yeah, well, one day you'll get there. One day. I think, yeah, when my kids are older. I, you know, I, yeah, because you'll say like, oh, uh, you know, what's it called? Leave the room? Escape oh, yeah. the room? I did that. Like, that was on your bucket list. And that's like a fun thing to do. But I did it. And how would, how would you say? Did it exceed your wildest expectations? No, it was fine. It was fun. I feel like if something was just fine, like, I don't know if that should have been bucket list. Like, bucket list should be like, I really want to go to Iceland. You know, I've never been to Iceland. Or I want to, you know, I want to uh, climb this one of the five biggest mountains in the world. Eh. Yeah. And I don't want to do those things either, but that's why I don't have a bucket list to begin with. Yeah. Can I have a modest bucket list? Yeah, but that's not even, that's just like, think, that's almost like a shopping list. Like, oh man, it's on my bucket list. I have to pick up frosted flakes from the supermarket. Right, I don't want to put too much pressure on myself, but I feel like, oh, I'm dying. Why didn't I do escape the room? It was so easy. I could have just done it. What's the biggest thing on your bucket list? I don't know. I need the list. I, th- I I was the, when I on uh, Veep was in my top hundred all time shows. It was in the fifty one to hundred portion that's that, that's aired already. And I the thing I said about it was it's really good. But if I had ten new shows, like let's say I'd gone away for a few days, and I had ten shows like queued up ready to go, it would always be the last one I would watch. Hmm. I don't know why. It's just it's it's an easy show to like, but a hard show to like truly love. Okay. All right, Akiva. I know from our pre-show notes that you don't have a news item, but I wanted to run this one past you and see what your take was on this. So you know how we've talked a lot about this season of Larry David's numerous appearances on SNL playing Bernie Sanders? Sure. Okay, well, this puzzle got a little more complicated as a bunch of sites reported today that Larry David's daughter, Cassie, is dating one of the SNL cast members. Oh, see, I didn't see that. That that makes sense why you'd want to come around and make sure yeah. that she's up to. I, you know, I didn't even know, like, you never hear about them. I don't know anything about, I don't know how many kids he had. I, I, was, I wouldn't have even been sure that he had kids, Larry. Yeah, and so his daughter, Kathy, is dating Pete Davidson, allegedly, of SNL fame. And how about that? So this is a good question. You don't have any daughters, but I have two daughters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can we do like rankings of which SNL cast member you would most and least want your daughter to be dating? Why, you would say no go on Pete Davidson? Seems like he has a bright future ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Pete Davidson. He's one of my favorite uh, cast members on the show, but he's very young. So I'd have to see how old uh, Cassie is. But I, I'm just I'm just trying to think like which of the 
current cast members, I would uh, I would be okay with uh, probably last on the list, Daryl Hammond. Yeah, I'd say if she's like twenty years old, then I, I, he doesn't really count as a cast member, but he's there. Yeah, uh, that would be bad. Um, I'd say. I, maybe Keenan would be like number one because unless I don't know, maybe the age difference is too big. But like just because he's been around a lot, I feel like he's probably maybe the most financially secure. Yeah, but I, I don't want to keep supporting her. I think you go the other way. I think that maybe like sort of like the uh, go with the young up and comer, the person who has the brightest future. Like what's Keenan doing after SNL? Not, well, so who has the brightest future? That's probably Pete, right? I think so. It could be the number one pick. And Colin Jost has like uh, I feel like there's something like uh, evil behind him. Evil. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not like really evil, but he's got, I feel like there's skeletons in his closet. Well, let's not rank too many of the, uh, what, the rankings of what SNL cast member you would want to uh, date your daughter. But I think that uh, congratulations uh, to uh, Larry and uh, Kazzy and Pete Davidson seems like uh, all, all a good thing. I wonder, though, did... What was the chicken or the egg? Did she meet Pete Davidson as Larry David continues to go on SNL since October? Or did Pete Davidson date Larry David's daughter and that led to Larry David being on SNL so much? Yeah, it's a very good question. I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of that one. I'm sure at some point, like, you know, Pete Davidson will be on Mark Marin or something like that. And, and he'll, yeah, I feel like even, you know, none of these, this, that's like an exit interview. None of those stories are even uh, canon. Well, we could always canon. ask Larry when he's on this podcast also. Oh, yeah, that's true. Of course. Yeah, he's probably going to, when he comes on, he's probably going to want to answer as many questions as possible about his, his daughter's family. Right. Yes. That like very specific questions about is not in the public eye yeah. daughters. I, I mean, our first few questions about his, uh, about the show are going to be so bad he may actually welcome the intrusive questions about his family yeah <laughs> uh, but i'm not sure i did by the way if, if you want a very minor piece of news um we all got sent a book by um by a writer who wrote a book about seinfeld called seinfeldy her name is jennifer armstrong yes and i did uh, get around over the uh ho- the jewish holiday passover uh weekend to reading uh seinfeldia how is that and i and I believe, well, I believe I was going to say also we're going to have uh, Jennifer on, but the book isn't coming out until the first week of July. Yes. I learned some new things. Okay, good. I read the first, uh, the intro chapter, uh, and I enjoyed it about the Brooklyn Cyclones game. I do have one big complaint already. At the, at, the, at the end, she talks about like sort of the post-Seinfeld era, and she talks about like the Seinfeld uh, Twitter accounts like Seinfeld 2000 and Modern Seinfeld. And like, all you know, how just to, to sort of uh, show how right. the show lives on. Uh, didn't mention anything about a podcast about Seinfeld. Though. Interesting. Interesting. Didn't make the cut. Did not make the cut. OK, well, what are you going to do? Maybe next next edition. Second edition. It'll be all about us. OK, just cut out the stuff about the show and just mention us. <laughs> there should be a book about the Seinfeld recap podcast. I don't know about that. <laughs> It'll really be a book about nothing. OK. So let's uh, get into talking about the doorman. Here we go. Uh, Back from February 23rd, 1995, an episode written by the great Gamal and Pross. Back at it. Uh, Yeah, Gamal and Pross. I I don't know who's got which one has the crazy voice and the inside looks. but One of them has a really nutty voice. Yeah, it's really crazy. It's like, Uh, you keep thinking he's doing a voice because he's a comedy writer. But right, (laughs) right. (laughs) All right, let's talk about uh, The Doorman. 
uh, with Larry Miller as the titular doorman here. Uh, Jerry opens up with stand-up talking about how doorman going on strike is a terrible idea because then you realize just how superfluous their occupation is at all. Kiva, do you think that Jerry had any sort of bad blood with doormen and women following this episode? Yeah, it's really uh, if you live in in a, a doorman building, and Jerry very well might have. I don't know if he was out of the city at this point or if he was. Well, I think he's still living pretty in much firmly uh, entrenched in Los Angeles during. Yeah, the I guess that's true. That's true. But Jerry, uh, Jerry was also like a real like he definitely had ha- houses in New York because he was you know he is anti LA and he lives in Jerry definitely lives in New York. I'm not even sure he has a place in LA nowadays. But in nineteen ninety five? Sure. Yeah. When he's filming the show, he's he's mostly on on L you know, for the at least eight, nine months a year that they're filming, he's definitely in LA, you're right. Um but uh yeah, I would imagine there's a lot of backlash. You're right. I you know it's uh even though everything he says is like a biblical truth, like that like it is kind of an insane job to you know, it would be like Rob like uh I'm sorry but I'm going on strike here. <laughs> Like, uh, yes. Yeah, I could probably find a new podcaster. Yeah. Or just not podcast. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Um, I don't know that they would have taken this well. I do think he would have had to tip like 50 times what he would normally have to tip to make up for it. Although I wonder, do you think that the doormen were just so excited to be mentioned in pop culture? Seinfeld's a huge hit show. They maybe brought more awareness to the doorman just because it was mentioned, do you think that they minded whether it was a positive depiction or a negative one? Yeah, I mean, the plight of the doorman probably didn't get a lot of time. So I, I think it's, it's uh, you know, it, all press is good press for the doorman strike. <laughs> okay. All right. Also, uh, Jerry talks about, like, uh, yeah, why couldn't the bums that wipe your windshield at the traffic light go on strike? Uh, yeah, that was um, that was a very 90s problem. Although, you know, sometimes New York Post says it's coming back. Thanks to Blasio. <laughs> yeah. OK, so we start off with Jerry, who runs into Larry Miller as the doorman. And the doorman has a chip on his shoulder, really, from the get go. Also, not really ever opening the doors, really just sort of standing by the door. Always this doorman. Sure. And on the inside, like in, even if you don't open the door, you're supposed to be on the outside of the door, I think. When right. A lot of a lot of buildings also have the front doors, especially if you have a doorman building being open. So you could even if you're outside, especially if it's cold, you can see who's coming in. Uh, It's impossible to be a doorman in this building because you literally have to be outside the building the whole time because you have no idea who's coming in. Yeah. And so here comes Jerry and he says to the doorman, oh, I'm here to see Elaine Bennis. And the doorman is like, I have no idea who that is. And of course he has no idea who it is. Elaine is house-sitting for Mr. Pitt. Why would you use the name of the person that you were going to visit who is house-sitting at the door of a doorman building? Well, I, I think like, if I've ever walked into like a fancy building and, and gone, gone to see somebody, they have a lot, you know, if it's really fancy, like they, they, if you need some sort of guest list. So they'll say like, oh, you know, Akiva's here to see whatever. So it's very possible in a with a better doorman, she would have called down and said, like, by the way, let Jerry Seinfeld in, you know, when he when he comes and said he's here to, here to see Elaine Bennett. So that's not so crazy, right, that there, there could be some sort of list. This, you know, a lot of buildings have like six doormen and they have to write it down because not one guy won't just remember everything. Yeah. And he wants to know, what are you, the boyfriend? Are you here for a quickie? Yeah, this guy is really uh, getting to getting to it right away. I mean, 
at this point, would he not be fired? Yeah, Jerry could get him fired, but that's not Jerry's M.O. But what is the doorman going for here? Why does he take such a hate into Jerry? Does does the doorman hate everybody or does he just single out Jerry? Jerry has done nothing offensive here. He's walked in. He's here to see Elaine. He, he like even like the stuff about, oh, the Knicks it hasn't come yet. What is it about Jerry that the doorman is giving him so much lip? I think he's a bully. Like, why does a bully choose who he bullies? You know, clearly the doorman likes most people because the building has the doorman's back. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think he just views him as an easy mark. Or maybe he's seen his show and he's more of a Banya fan. Oh, maybe he's not a fan of his comedy. So Jerry just wants to go up and the doorman is like, oh, okay, I get it. You want to make small talk with the lowly doorman. And then uh, Jerry tries to get away. He's waiting for the elevator to come up. Jerry, again, trying to throw out something. Oh, how about those Knicks? And again, you know, this is primetime Nick time in New York City. So perfectly acceptable question to ask about the Knicks in 1995. But the doorman is insulted. How do you know I'm not reading the Wall Street page? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, he's, you know, he's taking a little bit too much offense to that question. A little bit too much offense. I I always want to assume people assume I'm reading the sports page, not like the stock page. Yeah. Now, Akiva, just as a theme here in this episode, what I really do want to get to the bottom of, because the show never tells us, is the doorman a psychopath? Was there something just about Jerry that really irked him? What happens with the couch? Was it an inside job? What I'd like to do is sort of look for clues in this episode. Ultimately, the doorman will ask Jerry to take over his spot, and then Jerry will leave his post, and the couch will go missing. And there's a lot of question over whether or not that the doorman had something to do with this. Uh, yeah, and we it's a good idea. We'll look for clues, but we're going to have to look close because the show does not really lean one way or the other, You know, at least very openly. We're going to really have to parcel every minor interaction for for anything we can find but i want to walk away from this podcast with a definitive opinion on this oh we'll have a take on it it'll be wrong but we will have a take by the end of the episode because then one day when we get you know either larry miller or jerry seinfeld or larry david on the podcast then we can present them with our findings yeah i do think this is a perfect episode for uh really coming up with a great speculation sure all right so kramer and george are on the street and then we find out that uh, George's parents are still not together. So, Akiva, are yeah. you telling me that George's parents have been split up since the incident involving the cape? Yes, I think since the Chinese woman, when we have not seen them since then, and that's about like almost 15 episodes ago or something. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, we haven't seen them. We haven't heard about uh, Frank living with George, but they have definitely been split up since then. Okay. So that episode aired October 13th, 1994. So you're telling me that Frank Costanza has been living at George's house through all of these different things that have been going on in all these episodes, even through George wearing a toupee, as we saw. Uh, with through the events of, I mean, I could give you the episodes of, uh, you know, the couch actually happens right after. So that would actually would make some sense as to why George took the couch from Jerry. But through the gymnast, the soup, mom and pop store, the secretary, George was dating his uh, his secretary, the events of the race, the scoff law. 
we don't know when he moved in, though. We know when they split up, but that doesn't mean that. Where else could Frank Costanza have been? Well, the Costanzas could get divorced and live together for 30 years and no one would blink an eye. They're lunatics. <laughs> I guess so. I just felt like this was very much out of nowhere. Like, oh, yeah, is your dad still staying with you? I, I almost think that it's only been happening for two weeks. Okay. All right. So we see that there is a sightseeing tour. And so Kramer says, okay, this will be a funny joke if I pretend to mug you on the street. Again, this is going to set up some sort of a big chase scene later on, which I found out later was part of a parody of the movie Marathon Man. But again, uh, that was all over my head uh, in 1995 through up until yesterday when I watched the inside look on the DVD. But not a lot of payoff here for George pretending to get mugged by Kramer. No, but I think it's a funny scene on its own. Yeah. So Kramer wants to give the tourists a real New York City mugging so they get to see something. I mean, look at what a, what a generous guy. He's, it's like boring. They're just driving on this. Upper, first of all, I don't know if I'm taking these tourists on a trip, if we're just going to go into the heart of the Upper West Side. I don't know exactly <laughs> what traffic. we'll see there. Yeah. yeah. So there's something. There you go. So. Elaine finally gets to see Jerry. They're trying to get to the movies, but Jerry doesn't want to go back downstairs because he doesn't want to see the doorman again. So they're going to hole up up in Mr. Pitt's house waiting for the doorman, the changing of the guard. Yeah, but the night doorman is scarier, she says. Yeah, but she's joking. She's mocking Jerry's fear of the doorman. Yeah. Okay. So now uh, we get to George's apartment and we see Frank Costanza and what's going on over there. And Frank Costanza is really making the most of his time in the city. He went record shopping in Greenwich Village. Yeah, there's a deleted scene where he mentions a hundred other things he did. Uh, <laughs> and then he's like, and see dance? And, and they're like, you haven't seen a dance yet? He's like, I could. Yeah. And so uh, George ends up telling Frank that he gave the record player the hi-fi, as Frank Costanza calls it, to Cosmo. Frank Costanza doesn't seem to know who Cosmo is. Now, maybe that speaks to your point, because I believe that we did learn Cosmo's first name during this run of episodes when Frank Costanza could have possibly been living with George. Yeah, and not they wouldn't have necessarily told um, Frank, you know, this big news. But I, I just think the writers like bringing it up every week. Mm -hmm. OK, so anyway, Frank Costanza wants to uh, change his shirt. They're going to go out to eat and George and Kramer are horrified to see Frank Costanza with his shirt off. Akiva, does yeah. this seem plausible to you that George Costanza has either not seen his father with his shirt off ever or not seen his father with his shirt off in the last few years? I think I think the, the latter. Um, does that seem possible to you? Yeah, I mean, how often how often does someone see their father without their shirt off? Like, unless they're going swimming together, or, mm -hmm. like in the gym locker room, okay, I don't uh, think. Fine, I'll buy that. I will buy that. Okay, he has not seen his father with his shirt off at all. Has he not seen his father in a T-shirt? How could there be such a big surprise? I mean, it, it it's not possible. It doesn't happen anywhere else where someone has a large bosom and you didn't realize it because they had a shirt on shirts that uh, you, you get the idea right and but you think about the type of shirt frank wears you know when we see his shirts get sold and stuff uh it's more of like a wine shirt that's a little bit loose mm -hmm. so while you might just think he has a bulky chest because like you're not looking for them on frank right
George looks so disgusted, though, that he's going to. The, like, how could he be this surprised? Yeah, I mean, there had to be something there beforehand, right? You yeah. can't just go. Had to from, have had a hint. Yeah, had to be. Had to have. Like, you can't just go from like nothing to a C. I mean, he lived with his parents, and he didn't see his father in an undershirt. I mean, is it possible it's a later in life problem? Mm. But, we could, really could have used our, our medical correspondent. He, this week. I, I'm sure have. with age, I'm sure this is uh, a issue that is a concern. But George lived with his parents up until less than a year ago. Yeah. What if it's so gross that George is just horrified every time, but he's not surprised. He's just really grossed out <laughs> or, or he's like embarrassed, like, oh, don't do it in front of my friend. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe he's, so he's embarrassed that he did it in front of Kramer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it is interesting, though, that Mr. Costanza, and again, he was friends with Sid Farkas, and he has that conversation. One of the first conversations I think we see him have on the show is where he talks about, uh, now, George, you know about the cup sizes, right? So he does, he does know a lot about uh, the, the business of making bras and, and breast cup sizes. Well, when you hang out with Sid Farkas, that's what you're going to talk about. I guess so. All right. So we go back to Elaine and she answers the phone or Jerry answers the phone at first and it's Mr. Pitt. He's saying that she's having a party and ultimately tells her she can't go to the movies with Jerry because she has to go through Mr. Pitt's mail. Tell him what they got. This is the appropriate amount of Pitt, I think. Just one, you know, five seconds of Pitt. Yeah. So Jerry has to go downstairs by himself. He goes downstairs with a bag full of bottles. Elaine says to him, like, hey, could you take those bottles too? No payoff whatsoever to having Jerry take out the garbage. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Uh, why that? I guess just like, are they just showing like how much she has to do in Pitt's house? I don't know. I don't know. I thought that on the rewatch again, I don't, hadn't seen this episode in quite some time. I thought Jerry was going to drop the bottles somewhere and break them in front of the doorman or ask the doorman to help him with taking out the garbage. No payoff whatsoever with Jerry just carrying a bag of empty bottles. I think they're just letting us know that like Elaine is basically like working full time in Pitt's apartment here. <laughs> okay. All right. So Jerry is uh, walking past the night doorman. No incident whatsoever. Having a very easy time uh, with the uh, night doorman. So we see Jerry out walking on the street and he runs into Larry Miller again in front of another building. And Jerry wonders, wait, hold on. You leave your one job as a doorman and go work at another doorman job, which doesn't seem like the craziest thing in the world, right? No, I feel like, uh, yeah, look good for him that he's making some extra cash for his family. Right. This is what I do. I got off my one shift as a doorman. I go work as a doorman somewhere else. No. And it's not like he works so hard. We've established he does nothing. So he does nothing. He could just sit there and, and instead of reading the paper at home, he could just read it at the, at the next building. Yeah. And the doorman says, no, th- that's not the issue. This is where he lives. And Jerry appropriately asks, hold on. So you stand in front of one building? He actually stands inside the building that he works at and then stands where you should be standing as a doorman in front of his own building. And the doorman says, yes, that's the case. Do you have a problem with that? Yeah, I think also like that he's specifically not smoking in this scene, right? Like if he was outside smoking, there would be a reason for him to be outside the building. But it's just his thing. He likes hanging out. And he gives Jerry his signature catchphrase. Oh, so you think you're better than me, don't you? Yeah. They never caught on on T-shirts or anything. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So we go to the diner and we start to catch up on everything going on. And George is telling Jerry about how his father opened up his shirt and Kramer, in true Kramer fashion, uh, you know, blurts out that he had breasts. Yeah. Big they were breasts. real hooters. <laughs> real hooters. Right. Great line. 
Uh, George refers to it as his own personal crying game. Yeah, it's a funny reference. Yeah, very much Hammer Time reference uh, for George. And so uh, now George is starting to worry. And I think that this is probably one of the most forgotten subplots in this episode where George also is starting to be concerned that this is also going to be an issue for him. Yeah, I think it's a reasonable concern, right? If this thing is is real, I feel like it should be genetic. Yeah. So Jerry ends up saying, well, your father isn't bald. You're bald. And they said, no, that skips a generation. And Jerry says, well, maybe that's from your grandmother, which sets up a very funny scene with Estelle later on. Yeah, the baldness from the grandfather, the bosom gene grandmother. So Kramer ends up saying here, you know, Frank can't be too comfortable with those things clanging around. He needs something for support. And they start talking about a bra. Do you mean a bra? And Kramer says, no, a bra is for ladies. This is an undergarment designed for men. Yeah. And I, you know, I didn't check, but I feel like it exists at this point. Does it exist at this point? Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know uh, that it, it would be if it does. I wonder if it exists in a non Seinfeld novelty sense. No, that's what I mean. Obviously, you could make uh, you could make like a novelty version of it. Right. Like I certainly could see like the Spencer's gift version of the bro slash man's ear. I'm sure. not sure if this exists uh, in real life. That's yeah, that's fair. I, I, th- I have a feeling if you want it, you could get it if, if you want it. If you needed one, I feel like you could find one. Yeah, I'm not sure what you would necessarily call it. Do you want it? I mean, do you want that on your Google search history? <laughs> I'll, I'll, you could go in incognito mode for a second and check that one out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm trying to see. So if uh, you were going to find something like that, um, hmm. So yeah, sports bra for men. Uh, it does seem like uh, that's a uh, that that's a thing. I'm not sure necessarily. Uh, hmm. Again, it's a, it's the kind of thing that is. Uh, you know, probably more jokes about than an actual product that you could purchase. I'm sure one of our intrepid internet users uh, will find something. Yeah, someone who doesn't mind having in your search history, you could check it out for us. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so uh, in terms of uh, this conversation, a woman comes over and she's wearing the same color shirt as George. And again, one of these uh, really funny moments, she says, hey, we're twins and George is very offended by this woman. And she's like, oh, our shirts, they're the same. And I love George's like, George is yelling like, what? And like, <laughs> what does she think that he thinks? I don't even understand. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so she walks away and then Elaine comes in and she wants to know, hey, what did you say to the doorman? Because he says that you followed him to his house and were harassing him. Uh, yeah. Well, like, and Jerry's baffled because at this point, like it was clearly just a random run in. Jerry was kind of mean when he left him, but he's like, just because I asked him about the Knicks, he hates me now. Yeah. And so that Elaine says, OK, well, we're going to go to the movie tonight. And he wants to go to a later movie because he wants to run into the night doorman and not that doorman. And so Elaine's like, what well, do we have to rearrange everything because of this? And George is like staring down his shirt. Yeah. And Elaine wants to know what's wrong with him. Yes. Uh, and so uh jerry has the line he's trying to get something off his chest so a lot of puns in this episode more than almost any episode i can remember (laughs) yeah so george realizes that he's got to get his father at his apartment he's going to go try to get estelle to go and take him back so uh we end up with 
Jerry going back into the building. And instead of the night doorman, it is, again, Larry Miller, the day doorman. He switched shifts with the night doorman. And he says, hey, us doormen, we have each other's backs. We don't stab each other in the back like people in your world. Yeah, and does that mean he's going to have to have like a double shift at some point? I don't know how that works if there's only two of them. I'm not sure either. But when he says like people in your world, does he mean the non-doorman world at large or is this specifically the comedian world? Does he know about Jerry's stand-up background? I think, no, he doesn't know about Jerry. I think he means non-doorman. Non-doorman world, okay. And so Jerry's like, look, I don't want any trouble. Can we just be friends? And so the doorman says, okay, uh, you want to be friends? Here, I want to go get a beer. I'll be back in a minute. You be the doorman. Yeah, and I do love that he specifies beer, not just like I'm going to run out and get something or I have to go to the bathroom like he claims later. Yeah, and Jerry's like, I don't know what to do. And he says, it's not brain surgery. You open the door for people here. If they don't live here, don't let them in. Wear the hat. So let's check in with our uh, doorman watch here and talk about what is going on. So is this, are you buying this all at face value, that spur of the moment? Oh, you want to be friends? Here, do my job. I'm going to go get a beer. Or is this part of a greater ploy which is going to unfold over the course of this episode? I think even if there was a greater ploy, I don't know how the doorman could have been expecting him. It's clear that Jerry's visits are not told to him ahead of time. I don't even know if he'd pick up the phone if someone tried to call down and tell him. Um, So if there is a plot, I feel like it's hatched after this and not beforehand. Yeah, there's almost no way that he would know Jerry is going to change up his entire schedule so that he will start coming at nighttime to avoid that. He doesn't even know what sort of a petty person Jerry is, that he would end up changing his whole schedule around to avoid the day doorman. Like he might have waited all day for this and felt like, okay, well, he's going to come eventually. Let me work a double just so I could screw over this Seinfeld guy. But I have to imagine that this was just a happy coincidence. But he is able to take advantage of Jerry wanting to maybe walk a mile in his shoes or Jerry doesn't even want to, but he says, okay, here you do this. And maybe he, instead of going to get a beer, he goes outside to go figure out how do I screw this guy over? Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. I think, I think that's the case. There's no way it was pre-planned. That would be too crazy, but I think now maybe an idea is hatched. So now something also unusual happens at this point where when Jerry dons the hat, of the doorman, he almost instantly becomes completely familiar with the plight of the doorman. It takes but 15 seconds for Jerry to really completely understand everything that sucks about being a doorman. Yeah, and this is a show with moving parts, and we only have 22 minutes. But yeah, I feel like it just takes one person walking in the door, and he's fully there. Yes, One person walks in, you live here, yeah, I've lived here for 20 years, if you don't let me in, I'm going to call the police and have you arrested, and Jerry says, uh, so you think you're better than me. And he'd already been let in, I feel like that guy was a little bit out of line. Yeah, Jerry also lets in another guy who he does not ask at all, do you think that any of the foul play that happens in the episode could have been traced back to that other guy that Jerry lets in? Yeah, I think that's, that's our main culprit for who stole the couch. Okay. So we go to George, who's riding the bus. And again, I'm not sure necessarily why George is riding the bus. We see so much. He has John Voight's car. Uh, We talk about parking spaces all the time. Yet somehow he's riding the bus. But it makes for a fantastic visual of George on the bus. And uh, he is very concerned what parts of him are jiggling. Yeah, that is a pretty smart scene. (laughs) Yeah, no words. It's just very, very funny. So 
back in the lobby of the building. Jerry's behind the counter. Here comes a FedEx guy, and he has Jerry sign for a package, and Jerry is, fulfills his doorman duty. Uh, the delivery man asks him about the Knicks, and Jerry gives him sort of like a, a mean look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as if like it's a known thing that FedEx guys look down upon doormen. Is that what's going on there? In sort of like the no, I don't system? think so. It just I think he's just like uh, oh, if anybody asks me about the Knicks, I'm going to be insulted. That's what you're supposed to do. Okay, so Frank ends up welcoming Kramer back, and Kramer is returning the record player so that Frank could listen to the records he bought in Greenwich Village, and so he's asking Frank how he's doing. Frank is feeling tired and Kramer is saying like, well, is it your back? You got a lot of extra baggage up there on the top floor. Yeah. And Frank is, uh, you know, Frank is not shy. He's, he's, you know, ready to, uh, he's ready to talk business right away, basically. Yeah. And so Kramer has a prototype. How in the world does Kramer get a prototype made for what will be known as the bro? I feel like, Maybe Bob Sacamano knows a guy who makes prototypes and has patents of stuff. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, if you told me, okay, this is a lady's bra, then okay. But the whole thing about the bro is that it has Velcro in the back. Now, again, maybe maybe that I am showing my naivete about the, the bra. There probably are bras with Velcro. Sure, especially back then. Who knows what they were using? Um, yeah. I think in the inside look, I think the casting director says it was just like a giant, like old school sports bra of hers. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So basically, I think that Kramer's quote unquote prototype is just a ladies bra that he's bought. Yes. (laughs) Or maybe found in the street. (laughs) Found in the street. Okay. And so Frank at first is like, hey, hold on. You want me to wear a bra? And Kramer says, no, a bra is for ladies meet the bro yeah and i think ultimately even more than the idea i do think the two names of the the bro and the manzier are really the best part of the whole episode yeah uh it's outstanding it really has stood the test of time the bro and the manzier uh more on the manzier to come again a really funny scene of george driving with estelle uh he wants to know about his grandmother you can't really tell a lot from pictures what did she look like and then finally, he asks her, was she a big woman? She says, uh, no, she was my height. Was she bosomy? Was, was the grandmother bosomy? And Estelle, again, this is the same Estelle who walked in on George with the Glamour magazine. She's very concerned. She wanted him to go to a psychiatrist. She's uh, very upset about George asking if his grandmother is bosomy. Yeah, and Estelle's a prude. We've definitely established that, as you've said. Uh, uh, yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> and and Estelle Harris's reactions here are also fantastic. Like, this is, it is a ridiculous question, but it's almost, you know, she's so scary when, when she gets mad that it, that it really adds to the scene. Yeah. Okay. And so she ends by saying to him, kind of a weird line that I think they tried to shoehorn in there. Where do you get your jeans from? Which is kind of what he's asking in the first place. Yeah, again, another sort of punny line. Mm -hmm. So after the incident with the FedEx guy, Jerry just walked away from his post. That was it. And so we see the repercussions of that when Jerry and Elaine walk downstairs and see that there has been a whole bunch of people gathered together. Something has happened in the building, Akiva. Yeah, and the couch was stolen out of the lobby. And I don't know about you, but if you lived in in a building... 
and the couch, the building's couch, not your own couch, had been stolen out. I think probably you stop whatever you're doing and you try and get to the bottom of it or you just stand around looking concerned. But it probably would be the most important thing that happened to you that day. Right. These people are very concerned about the building's dumb couch. Yes, very concerned. Uh, look, they pay a lot of money to be in this building. I mean, maybe this is like the building committee. Yeah. And so somebody stole the couch out of the lobby, and there's a lot of questions about where is the doorman? Why wasn't somebody watching the door? And Elaine and Jerry split. Uh, yeah, they, uh, they sneak up. But I, I, I mean, it, really, the, uh, this is going to be the most maddening thing. One of the most maddening things we've had in the whole series. About the couch being stolen? Yeah, about who gets blamed for the couch being stolen. Okay. More on that to come. Back in George's apartment that... Frank is uh, playing this music and uh, they're sort of dancing and that they've got the bro on Frank Costanza and then Estelle walks in with George and almost for the second episode in a row we end up with some sort of a weird moment where characters end up walking in at inopportune times. We had George last week in the Kiss Hello walking in right when Kramer planted one on Jerry this week. It's George and Estelle walking in on Frank and Kramer. Yeah, so we could only imagine Estelle's reaction, but she may have, I don't think she just did the timid walkout that when George did last <laughs> well, she week. Yells. Where he the door. She yells. Here. Yes, there's going to be, yeah, she, this is going to be a lot more yelling that we don't see, and then she's just going to leave. Okay. So we go back to Jerry and Elaine in Jerry's apartment, and we're really going for another film noir, 40s type thing. And uh, we've done this a few times before on Seinfeld. And so when we're trying to hatch this caper, Elaine is trying to talk through what they need to do to not get busted by the co-op. Yeah, and this is yeah this this is uh, like kind of a wacky scene, but ultimately I think they realize like they they come up with a plan and they realize that no one's going to trust the doorman or they assume no one's going to trust the doorman yeah they're going to say it's their word against his and they start to talk about well maybe they got set up by the doorman yeah and they're planting a seed of doubt into the viewer's mind and probably even less than that but we're going to take it and run with it yeah and so they're going to basically just say that no there was no that jerry was not ever working there he did not take over for the doorman nobody's going to believe the doorman uh, and they sort of go back and forth over that Jerry is like repeating Elaine's plan and she tells him to stop doing that because it's uh, screwing her up. She says, go fix me a drink. Yeah, I didn't get that line. Yeah. What, go fix me a drink? Like, is he the doorman in this scenario? No, no, I, I just think it's like they're being sort of like 1940s movie. Oh, so that's like noir. the noirish part of it? Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, just go get me a drink so I can think. Like, uh, just that sort of like pacing and cadence and, and how they're talking. Fair enough. Okay. So... We go back to George's apartment and we see Kramer and Frank talking about the bro. And Frank is feeling great. He feels 10 years younger. He has better posture. He can breathe easier. And so Kramer said, why don't we check in with your friend Sid Farkas in the bra business? And I love that Kramer just randomly knows like, oh, Frank, you have a guy. You have a guy in the bra business, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've spoken to you five times in my life, but I, I know this fact about you. Well, this is really the beginning of the Kramer and Frank, uh, either bromance or manmance. Yeah, because they've had some hostile times before this also. Yes, yes. But they're going to uh, start to be uh, pretty solid friends. And so uh, they, have a, they shake hands. And so Frank Costanza does not like the name of the bro. He says the problem is it's too ethnic. Hold on here a second, <laughs> Frank Costanza. Hold on. 
you're one of TV's all-time most beloved characters, but this could be a bridge too far. Yeah, and it's not even like a thing. Like, I don't think bro was said by minorities any more than it was said by uh, white dudes. Yeah. Like, it's not even a real, like, racist thing that he's saying. Well, I kind of think that he's referring, you know, brother. I think that that is where he's going with that, which is really, uh, you know, frowned upon uh, Mr. Costanza. Yeah, we're shaking our heads. And listen, in the in the Seinfeldia book, uh, it, they do say that uh, that Jerry Stiller had a lot of trouble memorizing his lines. So maybe uh, he just messed that line up. Yeah. Because I would say that I am firmly a bro man. I, th- I say thumbs down to the man's ear. Yeah, I think man's ear is a very funny backup. But yeah, certainly bro is a better name. It tells you what it is. I do think that history would be on the side of the bro. Because I think that the term bro has become imminently much more popular since 1995. There's a whole bro culture at this point. Yeah, but it's almost like you you almost don't want to be part of the bro culture. Yeah, it's almost taken on a negative connotation at this yeah. point that, that bros are sort of thought of as sort of like Frat college boys. fraternity guys. Sure, yeah. Right. So now maybe is the man's ear making its way back? Hmm. Well, not if Frank is saying that the bro is too ethnic. Not, a, not if that's the argument for bringing back the man's ear. Uh, our, uh, our ambulance chaser correspondent, Chester... Uh, asks if you would put up a poll asking people if they prefer bro or man's ear. We certainly can. I, I think that bro is going to blow away the competition. I don't even think it's going to be close. I think it'll be like 90-10. Oh, wow. I think, I think man's ear hits at least 30. Okay. All right. Let's see. Let's see. So Frank suggests, no, I don't like that name. How about the man's ear? A brazier for a man. Get it? Yeah. And he, he had that chambered. Like, he didn't just think of that one on the spot. Yeah. And so George walks in and uh, George is very upset because he scared off Estelle with this whole bro business. Frank wants to know. He's totally just not even concerned about anything going on with Estelle. What do you like better, bro or the man's ear? Yeah, he, he does not answer. Uh, he is at a very low point. You know, we haven't seen much of the Yankees in the last bunch of episodes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, George, although he's doing well in his professional life, we still see like the nebbishy George that nothing's going right for. Hey, baseball strike is being resolved. That's true. That's true. So I guess, right, he might not even be going to work. He may even be sort of uh, like uh, not getting paid right now. Yeah. February 23rd, 1995. I think, I mean, we're going to get a a season that's going to be a little bit delayed, but I think that... Was it 144 games, I think? Uh, When did the 94 baseball strike end? It's got to be around this time. It had to be a little later. I think at this point they could have got the games in. When did it end? It says April 2nd, 95 was when uh, the strike officially ended. But you got to feel like we're making some headway at that point. Yeah. So, all right. Donald Sear. <laughs> Not sure how important George Costanza was to those uh, negotiations. Oh, I feel like they sent him. That's why the strike lasted all the way till April. Yeah. Would have been over in December if it wasn't for George Costanza. Oh, no question. Okay. <laughs> One of the uh, cotton uniform clause. Pre-washed cotton uniforms. Okay, so then uh, we go back to Mr. Pitt's building and uh, the doorman is explaining himself. He went to use the bathroom. He asked the guy to watch the door. And so uh, the lady from the building is then getting Elaine in there and and he's saying that, oh, it was her friend and she's being grilled. And she's like, oh, really? That is that what the doorman told you? And then yeah, like Elaine is acting all fancy. Yes. 
uh, we get the FedEx slip, which is really the damning piece of evidence to prove that Jerry was indeed supposedly supposed to be watching the door. Yeah, the writers do a good job in this episode of tying everything together. Yes. And so uh, we end up with Elaine. She cracks immediately, and she's like, oh, he's a comedian. He doesn't know what's going on. They don't know how to do anything. He doesn't know how to do anything. And Elaine says, don't you see what's going on here? He set us up. He's playing all these mind games. I believe you, Elaine. (laughs) So then Elaine and Jerry are back together at Monk's, and they're talking about how Jerry is responsible for the couch. The friend of the person who was coming to visit the woman who is house-sitting for Mr. Pitt, he is responsible for the couch. Of course, obviously. (laughs) Who else would be responsible for the couch? Yes, yes. And Elaine says that she couldn't do anything. They had the point-blank evidence that Jerry had the FedEx slip that he signed for. Yes, when you take the doorman's hat from the doorman when he goes to drink a beer, you are the doorman, and you're responsible for anything that happens. And Jerry says here, he was setting us up. He thought of everything. And they, Elaine explores, were we the victims of the sting? And Jerry imagines the scenario where all the other doormen are together and they're talking about how that they pulled off this big caper. Uh, yeah, so one of the rare uh, thought bubbles above somebody's head. Yeah, one of the other doormen says, so you didn't even want the couch? Like, no, I was just messing with his head. They think they're better than us? Okay, so Akiva, w- yeah. we have all of this evidence here. Did is this what actually happened? It, did the doorman pull one off on Jerry just to get the couch so that he would get in trouble for thinking that he's better than them? It, is what Jerry is imagining the actual scenario or would some crazier lunatic want to steal the couch from Mr. Pitt's building? Yeah, I just think that. Jerry has has gone completely out of control here. There's no way we've tried to sell this, but I don't think I can buy it because ultimately Larry Miller, the doorman, he's he's has to imagine that there's a good chance he's going to get blamed or fired for this. The only thing you could say is his actions are the are, you know, the way he works are the actions of a person who's trying to get fired. Mm -hmm. A guy who doesn't open the door for people who insults new people who come into the building Maybe he has a death wish for getting fired from this building. Yeah. Um, so that would sort of go along with it. But I can't imagine that from the evidence we have, it's Jerry. It may be him setting up Jerry to screw up, but mm-hmm. to specifically send somebody in, I'd need to see one more piece of evidence that we don't have. Because you would imagine that there would be a huge risk of getting caught. Now, I know that this is the night shift, so maybe there is less traffic coming through the building, but I feel like that you could easily see when the doorman, where would he put the couch? I mean, he had to have had someplace ready to go to move the couch to unless he just put it out on the street, and he needed an accomplice. Did he have another doorman standing by? Yeah, he needed. He would have needed to have a truck standing by to put the couch in the truck. I mean, even if a you know a resident of the building walks into the lobby, they could just say, "Oh, we're moving." The, if they ask why they're taking the couch out, they could just say, "Oh, we're the couch fixers." You know, whatever. We're taking it for upholstery or repair or something. Does this take us into the issue as to whether or not are we seeing the events? from jerry's perspective and is jerry an unreliable narrator was the doorman just doing his job and not really as much of a jerk to jerry should we question some of the dialogue like does everything that we're seeing do we have it at face value 
Oh, see, now you're asking an amazing question, but that's almost beyond the scope of, of anything I can answer. That's almost the question for Jerry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Like, because we are seeing Jerry's thought bubble here, I do think... Um, I do think that's a possible. That is like in the realm of possibility. I just don't know. I don't know. Like, uh, I, I just don't see how the doorman's side could be any. Like, Jerry is delusional in the fact that they th- Elaine and Jerry think they're being set up. But I, I, I can't see the doorman's point of view here. Mm-hmm. Like, what would the what, if we're seeing this episode? You know, on a sitcom called The Doorman, from Larry Miller's point of view. Yes. How would it look different? I'm not sure. <laughs> so. Do you think that the FedEx guy could have been in on this? Yeah, I mean... Could that be the accomplice that we're missing? FedEx guy has a truck, has another set of hands. Does the FedEx guy say, okay, yeah, you and me, doorman, we are bros until the end. So here's what you do, because obviously it's nighttime. uh, You know, we're not sending any... Like, it's it's late at night. We'll have this guy sign for a package that you know they wouldn't normally be signing for at nighttime then when he you know mentioned the Knicks he'll go off on his way that'll set him off and then let's put the couch in the FedEx truck yes if this was a master plot I think the FedEx guy had to have been involved because you need to pin Jerry to the scene of the crime right and he had the evidence to pin Jerry to the scene oh man now you're making me like Jerry now I got the thought bubbles going in my head yeah so I feel like either this was the case or it was all just a coincidence. Every, every, you know, somebody just happened to say, hey, there's no doorman at this building. Quick, let's steal a couch. I mean, what is this, a college dorm? Uh, yeah. I, I, that would be you're the asking move. a lot of good questions. That would be the move in the college dorm. I'm not sure if it happened in a lot of dorms or just the dorms in SUNY Oswego. It probably happened everywhere where there would be like a lot of furniture that would be in like the common rooms. And then the kids would then steal those couches and then put them in their dorm rooms yeah in their dorm rooms that makes sense yes yes it's like hey i got a couch but it's really the couch that got stolen from and you get written up if you got the couch in in your dorm room yeah my dorm room wasn't big enough for uh for a couch but well, what does written up mean? I feel like that's like an elementary school thing. Like it's going to go on your permanent record. Yeah, they sort of write you up and then you have like a certain number of things. And then if you, get, oh, you get like three strikes or five strikes or something. Yeah, it has some sort of like discipline action where I think then they could kick you out of the school. I think if you how get many enough. years did you live in the dorms versus like in a house or an apartment? So I lived in dorms for three years, two years in one building and then sort of like one build one year that was in a suite. I really wanted to live in a house with my friends in my junior year of college and my father wouldn't let me like I was like really like I was really I so I had to like find new people to live with in in the dorm in my junior year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you could say if you really want to be cool, you could have been like me and get married for your junior year of college and then ah, you're not allowed to live in the dorms <laughs> yes yeah then you wouldn't be allowed because you can't live with your wife i asked i said hey can me and my wife uh, live in the dorms and it's all boys school and they they said no 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 <laughs> that's breaking the rules we're not gonna bend the rules for you keeve no i don't care if you're married all right so then uh, we go back to jerry coming out of the dream sequence back at monk's and so he is uh, still thinking about what to do. And George has an idea. Hey, remember that poppy pea couch that you gave me way back when? Well, then my father has been sleeping on it. So if 
we take that couch away, bring it to the building, then my father won't have a place to sleep and you can get your couch. Yeah, and I do think another thing a good job this episode does is they really tie together so many different events of season six into one episode here. Yes. All right, so let's go back to Sid Farkas's office. And now, uh, Mr. Farkas, we have not seen him in quite some time uh when was that episode what episode was that where george went to go work for farkas uh so sid uh sid farkas was george boss in the sniffing accountant which was uh very early in the series it was uh uh no sorry it was i mean it was very early in the fifth season um and uh and this is uh, his second and final appearance uh mr farkas yes now the beauty of uh, this uh, reappearance of Mr. Farkas is that there are some similar circumstances that come about where George, as we mentioned, that he gets this job interview from Frank Costanza, you know about the cups. And so George tells this whole big story to Mr. Farkas about how that I was always in love with, you know, my mother's uh, brassiers and uh, that they would be out, right? He talked about his, his mom's or was it his friend's mom? Oh, that's a good question. He tells this whole big story about when he was 14 and his friend's mom had the bra hanging up in the bathroom. He really like investigated it and uh, really fell in love with the undergarment. And so Mr. Farkas ends up telling George that, you know, you do a, a great job. So really, the, the beauty in this comes from after George gets hired by Farkas that he says to him, you know, uh, Barring some unforeseen incident, I think you'll have a very bright future here uh, at Ed Grandmont, which I guess is the name of the company, uh, which then comes back here in this episode. So uh, Farkas is really into the idea that uh, he talks about, uh, you know, the Velcro versus the hooks. You don't want a woman fumbling around back there. Uh, Farkas seems a little pervy, I have to say, also. Oh, not just a little pervy. And also, it's a miracle they let George back in the building, because remember... He basically harassed the woman, uh, you know, one of the main women in the company who threatened to fire Sid Farkas. Yeah. Someone well, with the authority to fire Sid Farkas. Yes. What what George actually did is he rubbed her fabric, which in that episode, that was how Elaine uh, got picked up by a guy. He, ru- he, you know, rubbed her fabric on her shirt. Uh, and then George ends up getting fired. He's like all confident from nailing the bra salesman interview. Uh <laughs> But so here, Farkas is talking about how, uh, you know, oh, you don't want a woman fumbling around in the back. And he has a line that, you know, they're all like laughing hysterically about this. And Farkas is like, oh, summer nights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, Farkas, uh, he had his way with the ladies yeah. back in the uh, in the 50s. And he tells them, hey, barring any unforeseen developments, gentlemen, I think we're sitting on a winner. And so they're all happy. And so Farkas says, hey, Frank. You know, I've always thought that Estelle is a beautiful woman. I hope you don't think this is out of line. Would it be okay if I asked her out? <laughs> yeah. And this go, and so you say a little pervy, but this is, uh, I don't know if pervy is the right w- word here, but he's crossed many lines. I mean, yeah. they're not even divorced. They're not even really, they're barely separated. Yeah. And so he says, uh, where do you get the nerve to ask me something like that? <laughs> and also if, if Sid Fargus is a friend of Frank, he has to know that Frank is unstable. Like, right. He's the last person on earth you should be asking this question to. Yeah. And so Frank walks out. I'm not doing business with this guy. You know, Frank is usually in the wrong, but I almost think like he's correct here. Yeah. No, this was uh, way out of line, Mr. Farkas. 
Yeah, I mean, in theory, Frank could have sucked it up, but I, I, I don't really, uh, I don't really blame him here. Okay, so uh, Frank and Kramer go back to George's apartment, and the couch is gone, and he's very upset that the couch is gone. Where is he supposed to sleep? Uh, he doesn't know where's his stuff. Yeah, I, I, I do like how angry he is. Like, what? How? How? You know, th- he gets mad at Jerry. One of my favorite Frank things is like how much he'll just randomly hate Elaine and Jerry. (laughs) Like as if George has any other friends. (laughs) Also, then Kramer blurts out, I thought Jerry didn't want that couch because of the stain, the pee stain. And now George is like, don't say this to my father. Don't say this to my father. And he's very, very upset. You had me lying in urine? Yeah, I like the lying in urine. I don't know if it's a good hashtag, but it's funny. (laughs) It's not a good hashtag. (laughs) Uh, And so here comes Estelle. And then uh, she comes in and now again, uh, we knocked Frank earlier in the episode about saying that the bro was too ethnic. Here comes Estelle says, uh, you're not having any of your transvestite parties in here, are you? No, it was a different era. Different time. (laughs) Different time. And so she says, I lived with him for 40 years. I never saw him trying on my underwear. As soon as he leaves the house, he turns into J. Edgar Hoover. That's a good reference. Yeah. (laughs) And so I feel like not, not a lot of J. Edgar Hoover talk at this point in time. But like that ship has sailed. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't think the, the millennials even know who J. Edgar Hoover is. Probably not. OK. All right. So Frank uh, gives Kramer back the record player. He doesn't need it now. He has one at home. So he's going to go home uh, with Estelle seemingly. But she drops the bomb on him. Hey, she's busy tonight. She's going out with Sid Farkas. What nerve this Farkas had <laughs> to, to go through with this date. Frank said no. Um, I, I can't even, I can't even start here. It's insane. <laughs> Frank said no, but Stella's taking him back. She can't cancel the date she's going on. It doesn't make sense. How insane is Farkas for being attracted to Estelle also? Okay. Who's, you know, forget about her physical appearance. He's a sociopath. <laughs> is it possible that Farkas already called Estelle at the point that he was asking Frank? Is that possible? And then just never called Estelle after the meeting with Frank? Such a good, it's such a good question. I think um, it's almost like you're asking, you know, your father-in-law for, for his daughter's hand in marriage, but you already asked her. You're just making him feel better before, like, he knows right. that it's official. And he says no. <laughs> but then th- there's no positive expectation once you're asking, because if he says no, you're still doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she's excited, though. She is excited. I feel like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you you come back from a date with Sid Farkas. Like, (laughs) it's amazing that they're together for the rest of this series. Yeah. And so he's like, you're not having dinner with a bra salesman. And she really burns him like uh, he only sells them. He doesn't wear them. Uh, That's really one of my favorite still lines of the whole series. Also, It's, it's an amazing line. Good line. Okay, so Frank tells George he's not going anywhere. He's staying here with George. They'll figure something out. (laughs) Okay, so we now see Kramer on the street with the record player. He's walking around, and the German tourists all spot him, that they think that he stole this. Did you know that this is a parody of the movie Marathon Man? Uh, I mean, you. I think the answer to your question is in, in the question there. Of course not. Of course not. You right. know who did know? Johnny Silvera. He emailed about that. He knew. Yes. Now, I, I don't know nothing about the movie Marathon Man. Never heard of it. Yes. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, I believe, also. I think they love Dustin Hoffman. Anything Dustin Hoffman in the 70s. I think Seinfeld was all in on. And maybe it might be a Larry thing. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, that's the movie uh, Marathon Man. 
And they're doing a whole parody of that. And everybody's saying like, uh, hey, that's not yours. That's not yours. We have proof. And so uh, then the bro ends up falling out of Kramer's pocket. And then the German tourists are very infatuated with that. What is the connection between the bro and the German tourists? Why are they so interested in that? I have no idea. Um, It is pretty funny that like they really have to get him. You know, he's stuck. He's trapped. And then they're like, what's that? Yes. And and like you maybe they make fun of him. Like, why do you have this giant bra? Um, and then, uh, you know, they he's able to turn it around so quickly. And Kramer does have an amazing amount of charisma that it's not so un-Kramer like. But it is bizarre that they're able to turn this guy who they really think uh, just, you know, uh, Lugger, right. is an armed robber. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so now we have a last scene that's pretty wild here a lot of stuff happens in a very short amount of time so let's just talk this through so jerry is in the lobby with elaine they've brought the couch to mr pitt's building and he's okay oh i guess this will do elaine's saying it's a beautiful couch hardly used elevator door opens who should come out at this exact moment but poppy really the coincidences are off the charts in this episode yes so here's poppy and so Jerry wants to know, what are you doing here? Poppy says, I'm visiting my friend. I feel much better now. The doctors say, I can't have any aggravation. So he sold the restaurant. And because uh, that condition that he has, if he gets excited, the condition gets aggravated. And the last time he got aggravated was in the restaurant with your friend uh, when she started the big fight about abortion. Uh, yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I like the callbacks here, the very specific callbacks that Poppy's uh, bringing up here, just to remind the audience. Very specific callbacks. And so here comes Elaine. She comes over. It's you. Oh, no, it's you. And then Poppy, he has to sit down and we go out on no, Poppy, no, to J- Poppy sitting on the couch, presumably to pee on the couch again. Yes. And then what happens to this peed on couch? Yes. Now, hopefully, if anything, Poppy pees on the other cushion where then they could flip that cushion over too. I mean, after a while, I don't want to get too gross, but like, like what? Couldn't they just like, it's been a year. Can you just flip the other cushion back? Is it, is it ruined? <laughs> I think there's a mark. It's kind of like a white couch. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it looks a little like more beige-ish, but I guess you're right. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, what, what's the status? Even if you're of the camp, which doesn't exist, but if you're of the camp that Jerry and Elaine are somehow responsible mm-hmm. for for delivering the couch to, uh, you know, for like, repay, you know, bringing in a new couch. Once they've brought it in, Poppy has nothing to do with them, right? Poppy sits down, ruins the new couch. Are they now responsible to bring in a third couch? Yeah, <laughs> That I don't know. That's a very good question. Also, I think that Poppy has a very interesting retelling of events that happened going back to uh, the last time we saw him in the couch. Yeah. I- now, Poppy says that the, the thing that happened with him is that he got so aggravated in the restaurant uh, when Elaine started the big fight about the abortion. That's true. That that yes. is indeed true that he got so aggravated that he had to go to some sort of a rehab facility. And then what happened with the couch was a completely different incident because Poppy goes to Jerry's house because he's looking for the money 
for the succulent duck that Jerry ordered at the restaurant. And nothing happens with Elaine or the abortion talk when Poppy pees on the couch. So if anything, when Poppy talks about abortion or gets into heated with Elaine, he has some sort of a condition that causes him to go to some sort of a nursing home, not, you know, just start peeing everywhere. Yeah, but didn't we say that kind of was the condition? It was some sort of stomach issue. Uh, And aren't they ultimately connected? Because first he goes to the nursing home, then he gets out, then he pees on the couch. But isn't it like in Poppy's mind, isn't it all Elaine's fault? Maybe it's all Elaine's fault. But the incident that happened in the restaurant that Poppy didn't wet his pants at the restaurant and that in front of everybody, that's not what happened. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, listen, I don't know. I don't know if anything Poppy uh, says is canon. (laughs) I don't know what Poppy's condition is, but if he just wets his pants when he gets aggravated, you would think that this would, you know, happen off. I mean. I, if Elaine is some sort of a trigger for him, I don't know. Yeah, I do think Elaine is kind of a trigger. Like, who cares? They had an argument of an abortion, you know, months and months ago. Why is this? Why is this? Uh, you know, just eating him up now to the point where he can't even stand. Mm-hmm. And you would think that Poppy would wear some sort of adult diaper if this was an issue. Sure. If any time you get mad, you pee yourself. I feel like you need to deal with that. <laughs> right. And and not just sit down on the nearest couch. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I understand now why you have to sell the restaurant because that was probably awkward, but still. Yes. Now, maybe Poppy has to sit down because he gets lightheaded, but it does speak to, I mean, you would think that traditionally Poppy would not sit down to urinate. Why does he need, when he's going to pee his pants, why does he need to sit down on a couch? I don't know. Maybe it's soothing for him. That's a good question. I'm not sure. Maybe he loses consciousness. I, I don't really know. Yeah, but, it's, it's a good if we ever have Renny Santino on. That's a good question. It's a good question for Poppy, because, I mean, he makes it seem like that. Oh, I run into a lane and that's when I had to sit on the couch. That's when the whole last thing happened. But it was a couple of different events that uh, Poppy is all, you know, made it a, li- a little too clean for something that's a uh, very unclean incident. Yeah. OK. Uh, we see one last scene in the episode, which uh, in the inside look, they have uh, some bloopers from which it took them many, many takes to get this of Frank Costanza eating the Kasha in bed with George. Yeah, really a great ending scene. Uh, gotta love that, that like this, the patheticness of of the two of them in the same bed. I love his baseball sheets, George's baseball sheets. here. Right. I feel like I had 10 different, uh, you know, sheets and blankets similar to that that had just like every Major League Baseball team and every NFL team on them. Yes. Okay. So that's the end of the episode. Yeah. So what did we learn here today, Akiva? There's no learning. There's no hugging in this in this show. We don't learn anything. What did we um, learn about the doorman? What did we learn about Poppy? Yeah, I think the doorman is a nut. Uh, he just wanted to screw Jerry over. I think his screwing Jerry over might have just been leaving. We didn't really analyze how long he left for. Right. It could mm-hmm. have been like three, four hours. When did he come back? Yeah, we're not sure. Just maybe if you're a conspiracy theorist, you'd say just after the couch is stolen. See, I think that probably what ends up happening is that he comes back after he had his beer and then sees that Jerry left his post and then sees the FedEx and says, "Okay, I'm going to really burn this Seinfeld guy. He thinks he's better than me. He thinks he can just leave the post. That's when I'm going to steal the couch. That's when I'm going to make this guy look bad because I have the evidence that shows he was here and now I'll get him in trouble. Yeah. And by the way, if Jerry, you know, because he said he went to the bathroom, but clearly you could prove that he was out for hours. And how he took 
Well, you could say like, hey, did you see him at 830? Hey, when you walked in at 852, was he there? At 915, was he there? Who knows how late it is? He's the night shift. so I, That's I don't, true. Yeah. And he did. I mean, I know it's Jerry's word versus Larry Miller's. But Jerry, he did tell Jerry that he was going to get a beer, which is very different from going to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like at this building, apparently they only blame Jerry, but that's clearly a fireable offense. Like I imagine doormen are allowed to leave their post to go to the bathroom. Right. But it's unclear that once Jerry and Elaine are exposed as lying now, their testimony is also uh, pretty sketchy. Yeah. It, no, I, I know there, there's really no reliable uh, witness here. But, I don't, you know, I, the, the beard thing, I feel like he could go like the nearest bar. Hey, did you see this doorman? Was he drinking there? Yeah, I feel like there's ways around it. OK. All right. Well, let's start to put everything in place. Of course, I think that the biggest thing that would be different from 1995 to 2016, you would think Mr. Pitt's building would have some sort of a security camera. Oh, no. Yeah. Someone as fancy as Mr. Pitt. There would be a camera there for sure. Yes. So the doorman would not be able to have any sort of a case against Jerry here in 2016. They may have even had one then. They were just too incompetent and, you know, to even care to look at it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, What else would be different? Uh, The plight of the bro and the man's ear. Anything would change from 1995 to 2016? I mean, maybe you just make it more gender neutral all the way around. Mm hmm. Um, but I'm not, you know, I don't know what in, what in particular would be different. I, you know, I think you just settled for more like gender neutrality there. I'm not sure, uh, how you market it differently. Yeah. Uh, what about in terms of Frank Costanza living with George? Anything would be different? Um, no, I, I don't know. Like if it's short term, maybe Frank gets some sort of like, uh, Airbnb, you know, cause you're not going to like move into your own place, but cheap. what if he would. Yeah, he is too cheap. That's a good point. Yeah. Like maybe like George pays for it out of his Yankees salary. They wouldn't call the word bro ethnic in 2016. Certainly, certainly not. So then in terms of grading this episode out, let's start with George. By the way, I would hope that no one's still eating Kasha. That would be my last. (laughs) Let's start with George. I feel like have to give him an A because of the involvement of his parents. All things. Yeah, George gets an A here. One of the more classic Costanza parent stories for sure. But uh, Kramer with, uh, you know, there's that little bit of weirdness uh, with uh, Marathon Man. But in terms of the bro in the man's ear, got to say A, right? Yeah, you give Kramer an A. And also the side, pl- the side subplot, it's not great, but it's not useless with him, uh, you know, robbing George. And then the, sec- the last scene is wacky, but still. Mm-hmm. Then we also have the Jerry storyline with the doorman. Um you know, I, I, I maybe it's better on first watch, but I still think I think this whole episode is pretty like when we talk about like, oh, this is derivative or very sitcommy. This is one of the least sitcommy episodes of the whole series. Every, really, every subplot is very original. So I'll give Jerry, you know, there aren't a ton of huge laughs, but it's still interesting. So I'll give it an A minus. I'll say it's probably more of the B for me. I don't think that there's uh, too many huge moments that come out of the business uh, with the doorman, but it's fine. Uh, and then Elaine, uh, probably the most underserved of the big four here in this episode. What do you give her? Yeah, she doesn't have a big storyline. Um, you know, anything that Pitt intersects is not great, although he's very loosely involved here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, almost like an almost like an N.A. I'll give her a B. OK, that's fine. I won't uh, argue too much on that. Sort of incomplete. I agree. She does yeah. uh, do well in that film noir scene. And then uh, that's Elaine. OK, Elaine, 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 Elaine. OK. Akiva, yes. Where does this episode land in your all-time episode rankings? 
Yeah, I'm going to give this episode a lot of credit for originality. There aren't a lot of huge laughs, but there also aren't a lot of really bad scenes. I think you can't underrate how great the Kramer and Frank uh, scenes are, especially the first time you watch them. Uh, mm-hmm. it, was such, it was such a sort of like iconic original episode back then, uh, but not a ton of huge laughs. So I'll say it's above average, but I have it at number 71. 71. Okay. That's a little low for me, but... You would have had it uh, when you say low. You mean you would have had it closer to? The I would top have had it, yeah, closer to. Uh, it is, but and I would have no problem with that. I just think like how many times, are the, how many laugh out loud, uh, you know, on a rewatch, how many laugh out loud scenes are there? But I, I maybe I'm being too critical. But uh, listen, that mean, that just means that there's 70 better episodes. That's that's all it means. Okay, let's get into our emails. Every week we get email on the show. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com that's Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com and uh, lots of good emails from you guys Kiva where do you want to start this week okay uh, Liam uh, emails and I, I brought this up I brought this email into the uh, mailbag because I, I wanted to ask you uh, if you remembered but uh, Liam says he's been binging the podcast recently after hearing about it when you and I did the Survivor voicemails together, and he's been loving it. He's already up to the library after a week and a half. Wow. Anyway, when he gets up to this, eventually he wants to hear his name mentioned in a random episode. He doesn't have any specific input into the dormant because he has no idea what he's up to, but he's happy so far. Um, but I think, I, did I make a promise for the first person who finished the, uh, who went back and listened to all 100 episodes of this podcast on the Survivor voicemails? If you did, I don't recall what you okay. did promise. So if someone, if I did, I thought I said something wacky, like in the past I'd said money. I don't think it was anything money related, but if I did make a promise, someone uh, write in, because I'm not going to listen to the whole episode just, mm-hmm. to, just to see what it was. But uh, glad to have you aboard, Liam. Okay, great job. And so that, <laughs> did Liam have any interesting findings? No, but, uh, and he won't hear this. So Liam... We, you may be, we may be done with the podcast, or we may be up to like episode 140, but when you get up to, the, to us, we want to hear, when you get up to this, we want to hear your interesting findings. Okay. All right. You ready for Johnny DeSilvera? Always. Okay. Johnny DeSilvera wants to know, I've never had Kasha, but I see it's kind of porridge. Have either of you two ever had it? Is it kosher, Akiva? Well, now I have to say, like, I'm really mixing up Kasha and Kashi. So Kashi is a cereal. Yes. And Kasha's buckwheat. I think they're both kosher. Um, I, I don't know. I need to do more research on Kashi and Kasha. Okay. Uh, when I do a Ka- search... Yeah, there's Kasha varnishkis, which yeah. you don't know what that is, right? That's no. like an old school, like Jewish thing that nobody... It's like, uh, they, like you, you know, Frank Costanza or, or Morty Seinfeld would have eaten it, but nobody eats it nowadays. Yeah. There are some references in the deleted scenes to how smelly the Kasha is. <laughs> Yes, yeah, George does talk about the smelliness of the kasha. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's a really terrible bed food, just looking at it. It's like, what's a good bed food? Um, hmm. Like a fruit is okay? Yeah. Like a banana is a good bed good. food? Uh, you, ideally, you want something that doesn't drip, doesn't have crumbs. No drips, yeah. So you don't want like Peel ice cream. is a little problematic. Uh, yeah, you don't want a cookie or a cake. There's too many crumbs. Right, right. Uh, Noodles. Uh it's really terrible that when my wife gives uh, the younger baby a bath that she's trying to has to watch two of these kids. And so she sort of sets up my older son with uh, an iPad and some sort of a snack that he eats. And he's sitting on my bed while she is giving the younger baby a bath and what, whatever he is eating and constantly finding all sorts of, crumbs and different different food things in my bed which is really the worst 
Oh, you mean she doesn't put him down in her bed? Well, we do share a bed. Oh, okay. I, I've been like, you're her side or whatever. Is what right. No, it's one. It's just one bed together. And okay. then uh, I find different things in there that I say, what is, what is this? Come on. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's funny. I, yeah, he can't sit on the floor and watch the TV? No, no. She puts him <laughs> on the, on the right, You have to have like specific, I'm trying to think of like, you had like a fruit by the foot. That's like a, that's not going to stick anywhere. Yeah. So um, he has eaten different things like uh, crackers, cookies. Yeah, crackers are literally the worst food to eat in bed. That's yes. like the stereotype yes. of food, you know. Literally. Right. And then uh, that, I said, well, why don't you switch to like a, what, what, can you give him like a string cheese? And then. Um, then I fa- I've also now found pieces of that. So it's really just a, a harsh. I, I would even call that a string cheese incident. It sounds yes. Like. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Lindsay wants to know, uh, do either of you remember this doorman strike Jerry mentioned in his standup? Do you remember the doorman strike, Akiva? No, but it's, he's clearly referencing a real thing. Yes. I don't remember it. Okay. Uh, the, also, uh, our doorman even still a thing. I've never seen one, but I've also never lived in a fancy building. Doorman is still a thing. Oh, of course. Yeah. Do you think, do you think uh, the Chester would live in a building without a doorman? No way. <laughs> right. Uh, it's more for the security, though, at this point, right? Well, or you're a snob. Yeah. Those people don't want to hold the door. I don't know. I, I don't know why. People, I don't know. Chester could write a whole love letter in next week to his doorman. I'm not sure what the deal is. Yeah. I think it's much more of like, are you on the list? Are you on the list? You, can, you can't come in here. Yeah, I do. It's a security thing. It yeah. is a security thing. Okay. All right. What else you got, Akiva? Um, well, uh, we, I have a, a Twitter uh, response to something from last week. Ooh. Uh, uh, Louis, our, our, one of our, uh, our many Australian listeners. I don't know why. I, I, we haven't taken off in America, but I feel like we are huge in Australia. Huge in Australia. I don't see the Australian iTunes charts. We got to be at least like, uh, we got to be in the top something. Top six. Yeah. Um, so Louis says, uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, I don't like hugs. I don't want to, if someone sees me, I don't want to hug. But I'm also not a big handshake fan. Mm-hmm. So I said, so what did we come up with? Do you remember what we came up with last week? With fist bump, right? Yeah, fist bump. We want, we want fist bump. Do you also want a fist bump hello? I, of course, I know I do. That's fine. Okay, so she said, girls can't fist bump hello. If you wear diamond rings, you'll hurt the bumpy. Uh, and she wants an emergency female roundtable ASAP. But this is really just Louis' humble bragging about how big her wedding ring is, I feel. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but yeah, no, I, I hear what she's saying, but, uh, I don't know. May, not all, first of all, what about the single ladies who don't have like the giant rings? I'm not sure. What, you know, like, I, I don't know if it works for all women and now a lot of men wear rings too. Like I don't wear a wedding ring, but you probably do. Right. You know, my wedding ring is too big that I, and, oh. and, and like, if, if I like clap my hands, like it goes flying. So I wear it sometimes. I think that people feel like, oh, like. Uh, but you, when you're out, I know you're not out a lot. But when you go out, you must get, you know, people don't see you with a wedding ring. It must be, uh, you must have to like fend people off with a stick. <laughs> what what people? People, people that uh, want to say like, oh, why aren't you wearing your wedding ring? I'm friends with your wife. I'm telling on you. Yeah. Uh, John from Ireland. He says, uh, Larry Miller plays the doorman, was one of Jerry's best friends. And he was actually maybe the main person up against uh, Jason Alexander, played George. He wants to know how we think he would have done in that role. Personally, John from Ireland thinks that uh, he can't imagine the character would have become the Larry David alter ego with him. He doesn't think the show could have taken off with Larry Miller. Jerry and Larry Miller being two very inexperienced actors might not have worked. Of course, Larry is more of a comedian like Jerry was. It's a good point. What do you think? I think that the show... I mean, it's hard, it's hard to say 
that everything else that's good about the show, and just in the same way that you know Jason Alexander on day one is not the fully formed George Costanza, it is almost impossible to imagine the show with anybody else as George Costanza. Um, I, I feel like the show still would be a hit, but I, I think that it would be hard to say anybody could do a better job with that role than Jason Alexander. I agree, and and he makes he makes a good point that Larry's not a trained actor, so that would have been you know Jerry doesn't have to do a lot of heavy lifting in a lot of episodes, but. Larry would have for the character to succeed. So it's a good question. I don't think it would have been the same. He calls Larry Miller. Uh, I guess this is this is Dennis from Australia asks Larry Miller is Jerry's best friend, right? In the inside look, Jerry says he was and is my best friend. Why isn't he in more episodes? So I do mm-hmm. think, and I think we mentioned this in one of the first episodes, like if I was Jerry's best friend, I, and I, even if I'm like the titular role in this one episode, I would be a little annoyed. I only get, you know, cause we never see the doorman again. Mm-hmm. But what maybe that the move is if you are somebody's best friend, that's a big deal like Jerry. Like you sort of don't want to say like, hey, you got anything for me? You going to put me in? Anything? Well, of course you don't want to say anything. You can't be like, uh, so uh, any any uh, good guest roles coming? Like you can't say anything, it, but it's probably a little awkward. No, right, right. But like, I feel like Hollywood is a bunch of, you know, th- there's a lot of that in Hollywood. You can't cast all of your friends and everything, right? Yeah. Uh, although I pretty much that's how I try to do my podcast schedule. <laughs> Just cast your friends and everything. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. So Craig, he says that Larry Miller is an underrated actor. I can see, though, why he wasn't a good fit for George. He's too polished. Whenever I watch the episode, I always think that the punishment for Jerry uh, should be the Keeble. His punishment uh, that his character is Max Keeble's uh, big move invented is the worst punishment ever invented. I have a feeling you guys won't read this because you have no idea what I'm talking about. Akiva, I have no idea what Craig is talking about. I, Craig, I have no idea what you're talking about, but now I'm interested in knowing in this movie that I've never heard of that you may have made up called Max Keeble's Big Move that has the worst punishment ever invented, and it's called the Keeble. Next week, you have to write in and let me know because I Googled and I couldn't find it because no one's ever seen this movie except for you, <laughs> Craig from Vancouver. But I want to know next week what the Keeble punishment is. <laughs> okay. All right, so Amir wants to know. He says he really dislikes the bit where Jerry puts on the doorman hat and immediately becomes bitter and surly, which you pointed out, right? Mm-hmm. I always thought the plotline worked better under the assumption that this particular doorman was insane and vindictive rather than the menial job of a doorman, which turns a normal person into a maniac. Which is it? Is the doorman crazy or does the job of being a doorman turn you crazy? Yeah, so is the doorman hat a bit like the precious from the Lord of the Rings or like the mask from the Jim Carrey film that when you put on the doorman's hat, do you... Those are two very different things, by the way. (laughs) Two very different things, but you take on some sort of I wish it was like the mask in the eponymous Jim Carrey movie, The Mask. (laughs) Yes. But does the hat itself have some sort of magical properties where you become a doorman at the point you wear the hat. Yeah, it's a good question, but I feel like every doorman I've ever met is kind of like not likable and nice and like salt of the earth. Mm-hmm. They, there's no stereotype that doormen are jerks. Right. They would be fired. You would say, I hate that doorman. Yeah, the, their whole job is just to be pleasant when you walk in the, you know, I'm not saying the, the only part of their job, but like their main thing is like be pleasant, you know, greet all your uh, you know, all your tenants and, and, you know, make sure they're okay and hook them up with uh, FedEx packages. And, you know, now it's mostly just collecting people's Amazon stuff all day. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I feel like there's no stereotype that they're, that they're anything other than like cool people. So, uh, I don't know why he, he makes a good point. I don't know why they make him into a jerk, but maybe it's that hat. Maybe it's like the mask. It's not like you put on any mask. It's like this one hat makes you 
a bitter maniac. Now, it's possible that maybe Jerry or Larry or Gamble and Pross were trying to get into some buildings that they were not supposed to be in. Yeah, it's possible they had a bad doorman experience, especially around the strike. If you're dealing with doorman, they might have been on edge. They weren't working. It's not like they were getting paid when they weren't working. So, I, you know, it's possible they ran into the wrong doorman on the wrong day. Okay. All right. Then also, what else does Amir want to know? He says, uh, watching the unbelievable George and Frank living together scenes make me think that the show really drops the ball on the storyline. I see no reason why this couldn't have been a major season long plot line that led to dozens of classic scenes. I think uh, Amir nails it. They have such great chemistry. George and Frank living together. Kramer coming by. It could have really been like the main B story in, in you know, 10 different episodes here in season six. Uh, I do think that they they split them up too soon. Mm, I agree. I mean, they're great together. And uh, you'd like to see uh, more. But we do get some more Kramer and Frank as we go. Along yes, here. but no, but just the idea of George and Frank living together, I think more than anything, we could have milked more out of that. And people forget, like, it's not like Frank comes for a season and then he's gone. Like, we really just get them for four or five episodes every season going forward. So it's hard to really get momentum. Like we said, you know, we haven't seen them in a while and they were divorced and we almost forgot about it. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I misunderstood what uh, Amir was saying that so the George and Frank he wanted to see living together for longer. Yeah, that, that is a missed opportunity. That would have been you really could have mined a lot more of that and then had Estelle live with George for a season. Would have Estelle been could have moved in with Kramer or something. <laughs> yes. Yes. OK. All right. Finally, Chester wants to say, uh, why is there FedEx delivery so late at night? Was Jerry actually the victim of the setup? I think that does speak to the point of maybe the FedEx guy was in on it. Yeah, that's he's on your side, Jester here. Jester wants to know what the hell is uh, with the house sitting anyway? Why would Mr. Pitt need Elaine to stay at his house? Let's say he has a few house plants that need watering. Why does he need someone to live in his house for that? Yeah, I don't know much about house sitting. I'll tell you, like, maybe the low point of my whole life. Yeah. I finished college and I, I didn't intend to go to grad school. So I like the day after like I applied for jobs, but it was also uh you know, by the time I, apply, you know, by the time I'm applying for jobs, it's the economy sort of dipping and stuff. And I didn't realize like, oh, like you don't go to grad school. You're just like not going to have anything to do. So I'm, I'm finished with college and I have no job like the first few weeks out of college. So my friend said, hey, can you like house sit my girlfriend now ex-wife's, um, uh, ha- you know, apartment because they're getting cable and you need to house it. You need to be there, you know, like a cable uh uh, delivery guy does from like 8 a.m. till 6 p.m. And he might be there at 8 a.m. He probably won't be there till like 7.30 p.m. Can you just sit there? So that was my only house sitting experience. But he, the guy didn't show up till like 7. Yeah. And it was also my birthday. Oh my I remember. God. What'd you do the whole day? I, I mean, it was already like late enough, uh, you know, like modern enough that I think I had their internet, you know, that I was able to like sit on the internet all day. Um, but I like could I remember like I forgot to bring food and I couldn't really leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just like, but it was truly like outside of like people dying. It was definitely the worst day of my life. Like I remember like and right after I got a job and I haven't been, you know, I've been working, you know, since for 10 years without without really interruption. But I do remember how depressing that was. How mm-hmm. sitting. So it brings back bad memories. Jester adds as your legal correspondent. Can I point out how insane it is that Mr. Pitt's building would think Jerry should be liable for the couch? Yeah, who who declared Chester our legal correspondent? I'm not even sure how that happened. Well, we we need a lawyer to fight his claim. Yes, we yeah we we have plenty do of lawyers. We any, on, do we have a legal correspondent? No, uh, yeah, if someone wants to be a legal correspondent, just write in and you get the job ahead of Chester. Uh, Chester says not to get all high and mighty, 
But as a good son, what kind of jerk is George that he makes his father sleep on the couch and he sleeps in the bed? If your father's staying in your house and you only have one bed, he gets it. It's the fifth commandment. Is this a thing, Akiva? Well, it's it's like a son of respect. He's saying that you you at least offer your father the bed and you sleep on the couch. What if you're married? Yeah, well, you and your wife can't sleep on the couch. It's not going to be big enough. Right. And he, yeah, so I don't think that's an option then. Mm. Right. Uh, but it's a good point. I feel like and, and it's the type of thing where like generally you offer and your dad's like, no, I can't do that. But if you offer it to Frank, he's saying yes. Mm, probably, probably. Well, he's going to eat Kasha in the bed. Well, then they end up in the bed together then by the end of the episode. Well, there's no couch anymore. Yeah. Also, at the end of the episode, Chester mentions, in the last scene, we see George's bedroom set up. Baseball sheets and a goose lamp. How in the hell does he expect to seduce a woman with that decor? What's wrong? The goose lamp or the baseball sheets? (laughs) It depends on the woman. I feel like some women like the baseball sheets. I kind of want to hear Chester's thoughts more on what is the best way to decorate a room to seduce a woman. Yeah, let us know, Alex. Let it write in and, and, and please give us your tips uh, since they're so successful. <laughs> um, he did pull he, off a switch. He did pull off a switch. That's right. I don't know. Although I don't think that's his wife, right? In the switch. Yeah, I'm not sure. So he didn't keep the switcher. I don't, I don't know what the scenario was. Hey, look, game respects game. He pulled yeah. it off. <laughs> Wait, doesn't that imply that one of us has game to oh, yeah. say that? Okay. Game, you have a game respects Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, we're in that I think it's Doofus respects game here for us. Um Yeah, I think uh yeah, listen, he made he landed a doctor. Uh he's doing okay. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, and then he plugs uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah, Silicon email. Valley. And leave your plugs to the other podcast. <laughs> right into Game of Thrones with your with your HBO plugs. Yeah. And on the other podcast, you and you and Chester uh, recently did a mock draft of uh, the entire first round of the NFL draft, which actually will be uh, quite uh, past when its relevancy as the actual uh, NFL draft will have transpired by the point. Yes, it was a fun podcast. We worked hard. We got uh, all fans of all 32 teams or 31 teams plus the hate of New England Patriots. But uh, as as, uh, someone once said about your podcast, that content truly dies on the uh, vine. Um, (laughs) Who said that? Are you, are you joking? Are you serious? Oh, that, well, who famously said it? I know many people. The, the Zero Earbuds people said your content oh, dies on the vine. <laughs> yeah, they, you, you repeated that a hundred times. I guess I blocked it out. I blocked it out. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> well, you should only remember the, the negative reviews you get. I think, um, yeah, this is because people want to like push off some of the, like, the interviews till Tuesday. I'm like, no, we need to have at least three days with this podcast because it's literally irrelevant the minute the draft starts. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the beauty of this podcast, that we're talking about something that's so old that these yes. podcasts are almost evergreen. No, they are evergreen, other <laughs> than like the stupid predictions we make, uh, um, you know, other than other than like talking about sports every once in a while. I think you really can listen to this in 10 years and uh, hate it just as much as when you listen now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Akiva, what's the hashtag? Hmm. Uh, do you even have any suggestions? I don't know. Is there something about Kasha or, yeah. uh, you game know, we can't put in like game the peace thing. Right. Yeah. Game respects Game of Thrones. You can't beat that. Okay. You like that? <laughs> yes. Good. We, now we got Game of Thrones in the hashtag. Now we, yeah, there we go. There we, we go. And, and we maybe, maybe if Scott can, uh, can, you know, somehow sneak that into the episode description, have some fun with that. Yeah, one, we reached Scott. it organically. Right. <laughs> yes. We, yeah, it's, we, you know, we tried to uh, screw with it SEO wise, but now we actually have a real reason to put it in. Yeah. All right, Kiva, what's next? 
Uh, we've got a very fun episode next week. We have the Jimmy. Really? Jimmy. One, one of the most controversial, uh, in hindsight, uh, episodes. Everyone's going to get offended next week, but we're going to have a good time. Yeah. Boy, all right. So looking forward uh, to that. Uh, what else do we have to do? Uh, I don't know. Do you have anything, anything else? else to plug? Yeah, I, well, I mean, I don't need to plug. I'd like to thank <laughs> Mike Moore for writing the recap. I'd like to thank Scott St. Pierre. Sorry, uh, Scott. Uh, he edits this. Scott's going to be so mad that I, I screwed up his name. I screw up my own name sometimes. All the think. time. You never pronounce Esther Nino correct. I say sometimes, but I, I definitely. It's a hard when you say it fast. It's a very easy name to, yeah. to sort of swallow. I want to thank Scott St. Pierre, who edits the Seinfeld post show recap and does a great job. Oh, I'd like to plug. Uh, I like to Harrison Pete. I watched all of Harrison Pete a few weeks ago. How do you watch that? What, what is it on? You have to email uh, it's on uh, Louis C.K.'s CK? website. Okay. No, right now it's just Louis. If you really, if someone, you know, it is um, that what I would recommend, because I don't want to spend people's money for them, because this show does cost money, is you can watch the first episode. I think it's four or five dollars. And then if you like it, you can buy a season pass. If you like the show, Louis, you'll almost certainly like it. But uh, just know it's $31 and, and uh, Louis, uh, who claims to have gone broke, it's although he then $31 un- to watch the show. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Unless you love Louis, wait like six months and it'll be on Netflix or 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 something or Amazon or something like that. Yeah. But okay. if you love the show, Louis, it is it's it's almost definitely going to be in my number one show of 2016. Wow. I mean, who knows what could happen? You know, the review or Nathan for you or Game of Thrones, something crazy could happen. But are you willing right now, to pay the thirty one dollars for anybody? If they don't like it, that, that they can get their money back from you. Now, we have too many listeners now for me to do that. It would end up being a lot of money. <laughs> when no one was listening, it was fun to offer that. Okay. Boy. Um, I'll pay 31 cents. If you, how about this? If you watch all 10 and you hate them, but you also have to like Louie going in. Because I'm, I'm not saying everyone will like that show. But it is, it's a very different show, but it's good. So that's a plug. I'd like, I'd like to plug uh, kindness. People should be kind to each other. Yeah, I was going to say that my wife does not like Louis C.K. Uh, he's not funny. You know what? I think a the lot of women don't comedy, like comedy. My wife, that, that's what makes me feel so good when my wife says I'm not funny. She also said Louis C.K. is not funny. The, uh, Adam Carolla, our, uh, our podcast one mate, yes. uh, likes to say when his show was on the radio, um, he, he got two notes from his program director who's, who's often the subject of ridicule. I think it was like there was three people they said were banned from the podcast for not being funny. It was like Joel McHale, who blew up afterwards, yeah. Louis C.K. and some other huge comedian. I think it was Zach Galifianakis. Uh, so, yeah, you may be right. It was like the, it was like anytime some like super guy was about to like blow up and become huge. They said, no, we can't have him on. He's he's radio death. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So maybe Nicole is, is sort of like I'm blanking on the on the name of. Uh, yeah. Of his old program manager. But. That was uh, that maybe Nicole is uh, is like the is the female version of him. Yeah, I think. Uh, but I do think that, you know, first of all, you could Google it and there's some women who really don't like him. But I think in general, uh, not every woman loves the CK. Yes, maybe not. Maybe that's not it. OK. And also, but his name is like really hard to pronounce. It's like Siskeli or something. Yeah. Oh, do you think that, that it's his name? That's a problem? no. But I was thinking for myself, like. Is it too late? Like, am I, can I scrap Wieneker? Can I go with something like WN or something? WN? Akiva, I don't know. WN? Like, can I do something like Louis did? Like, I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to shorten my name. Keeve WN? I feel like if I could get my name down to a reasonable length, it would, it would be good for my, you know, it would be good for my sort of like social media image. Yeah. Because uh, people see my name, they're like, oh, I don't, I don't know like what this guy is. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I, I can't even pronounce his name. I can't spell it. All right. Well, that's why uh, Twitter, your Twitter name is good. Just six letters. I, at least I, I made the mistake of using my name on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, I could get at Wieneker right now. 
Yeah. I mean, maybe not. Maybe now, like uh, Paul Borges or someone's going to go steal it. But the, the, I think uh, I could get it right the second still because there's only like nobody eight of us wants in the world. it. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. I don't think my I don't think uh, Howard Wieneker, who's uh, it was 87 years old last week or last month is uh, is going and stealing the Twitter name. But I think uh, if I could if I could come up with something better, although Chester did promise he'd get me at key for my birthday. We'll see if he comes through. through okay. with that. What, what poll does he have on Twitter? Oh, he's just going to offer them money. Oh, money. <laughs> yeah, I said, he, he said, he said uh, his time is worth enough money. I'm going to have to pay for it. But I, you know, I said, listen, if you could bill whatever you bill per hour, you could, you could spend the 50 okay. bucks and get at key from that lady in Iowa. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with her seven followers. Uh, should I follow her? That's only going to drive the price up. No, no, it's good. No, no, no. Unfollow her. <laughs> I'm going to get the seven followers to unfollow her. And then I'm going to, you have no followers. Yeah. Uh, she hasn't tweeted since uh, March 14, 2014. She just tweets at companies. She's one of those. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, it's one of those like, I didn't get a, you know, I went to Walgreens and you forgot to put a well, banana in my bag. Or something. You should work out the trade. You should give her Kiev 26 that you yeah, already just, have all the was, followers. Yes. Oh, no, that's not how it works. Oh, it's not. Listen, I went. I worked hard. Got on a podcast, oh. got on your <laughs> show, your groveled seven, for those seven, followers. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> I groveled for those followers fair and square. I'm not giving them up. Okay, so no, I think, I think you get to keep, like, if she switches to, like, at Keeve 27, let's just say, then I can just switch my name under the same account. Got it. I'll end up screwing it up, and I'll be back down to zero right, followers. Well, let me throw in <laughs> that we will give a plug to whatever new Twitter handle she wants to be. Uh, tell to, tell uh, our legal correspondent, Jester, that he can add that to the negotiation. Okay, fair enough. That we, I she will, might, if she's a good negotiator, she'll get a main podcast plug out of no, it. But we'll, this is, uh, on this podcast. It's not an offer. Well, that should <laughs> add a solid. I, I, I got 200 followers in a weekend on that one. I get a, I get a solid one a week on this one. So yeah. it's not, not the same stay, offer. Stay right now at 777. That's lucky. Yeah, it's a good number. You could be Keith seven seven seven. People that might that might be uh, like twenty six is so random. But what do I what do I do when I like? It's easy to keep your follower. Like people like to follow like six sixty six or you know like a round number. What am I going to block someone every time I get the seven seventy eight? Yeah, like kick them out of and who am I blocking? Like I, uh, whoever's not system. doing uh, a lot of favoriting. That's true. Yeah. If I don't get any RTS this week, you're done. You're out. You're out. So I'll keep a spreadsheet. You have like a very like uh, really like energized seven seven seven. You'd be like you know Bernie Sanders. Well, why would anybody yeah. even want to be like people would just unfollow me? Like who cares? They block me. I don't. No, care. they want to stay in the seven seven seven. You're you're Keeve seven seven seven. But there's no value in my tweets. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, that being said, great show this week. We'll be back next week with the Jimmy. Talk to you again soon. Take care, everybody. Bye.